week's edition of the Niners Nation Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name's David. And my name's Richard. Whoa! We've got a blast from the past. Indeed. We have a blast from the past this week. One Mr. Richard Reininger. Uh, You may know him as Richard Bayless on the Twitters that he never tweets from anymore because he's a Luddite and he hates technology. Or Uh, Richard Grindinger. Or Richard Grindinger. If if it's, uh, yeah, in Oscar's phone, that's how I'm listed. That's correct. Uh, Richard is one of the founders and original hosts of the Better Rivals podcast, but he's moved on to bigger and better. Uh, He now lives in Oakland. Go Raiders. Uh, he now, <laughs> I don't even, what? yeah, he's a Raiders fan now. He was a Cowboys fan, which was. I still, you can be a Cowboys fan and a Raiders fan at the same time. I am living proof sitting right that's here. That's not how it works. That's, nope. that's yeah, not, it is, not it how, it is how it works. Nope. How it works Against at all. The that's, indeed. Uh, but you're living now, in Oakland, you have to be a Raiders fan because you just want the city to have good vibes. Yeah. Basically, he's a white dude that doesn't want to get shot. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, Richard's back. He's going to join us. We're going to be. Dealing or not dealing with dealing with Richard. Well, we are probably going to be dealing no, with Richard. No, there's going to be a lot of editing. I'm sorry. Yeah, but we've got a, a pretty good show structure, I think, that we're going to try and roll with for the rest of the season just to keep things interesting. And one of those things is going to be a lightning round, which we, we'll, we will continue throughout the year. Uh, but this week, for one week only, while Richard is in town on vacation here at the Austin Film Festival, uh, he is going to be hosting the Richard version of NFL Quick Hits. So... Let's get into the new show structure and let's get started because there is a lot of stuff to get to. Always, as we begin the show, we start with the rundown. We've got Ray Ray Armstrong on injured reserve with a pectoral injury. And that really sucks because, frankly, he was playing some good football. Yeah, I mean, I've been really impressed with him so far. I mean, we talked about him during the preseason a good amount and how he he seemed to kind of establish himself as that number two guy. Um, But at the same time, we had those caveats, right? It's just preseason. We got to see if this translates to actual meaningful football. And so far it had. I mean, uh, I thought he played really well during week one. He he was playing well before he got hurt in this one. Uh, So, yeah, it just kind of sucks because I think he was somebody that was versatile enough. I mean, he's been talked about as primarily this like pass specialist, right? Like somebody obviously is a converted safety. Um, and, and so it makes sense that his strength would be as like a, a pass defender. But I, I thought he had played equally as well against the run in most situations. I mean, he really uh, wasn't a liability when he's out there and he made some impact plays. Um, so it, it definitely sucks. I mean, I think you lose some versatility there. Um, the thing that I'm most interested to see as a result of this is, okay, now do we all of a sudden go back to this Joukowsky tart playing inside linebacker thing, uh, when we're going to sub packages, because like we've mentioned, um, you know, last week, basically what they've done is when they bring in an extra DB, they're removing an outside linebacker, not a defensive lineman, not an inside linebacker, which is kind of how most teams tend to do it. Um, and, and I think a lot of that was because of the versatility you had from Armstrong. So now that that's gone, I don't think Hodges is that player. I, I'm pretty sure Will Hoyt's not that player at this point. Um, so now do we start to see, you know, Tart get some more snaps and, and this is a way that they look to get him on the field more. Well, they said in some kind of, I, I forget in which press conference specifically, but they said that they weren't going to move. Jaquaski Tart to that dollar linebacker role full time, and that makes sense. That doesn't mean he won't line up there at times. Right. Eric Reed is even lined up there at times as well. So I think that will be interesting. Shane Scove has been promoted from the practice squad. He's not the answer at this point. He's a special teams guy with a cool last name uh, who likes to put on eye black in the mold of John Randall. Yeah, uh, people need to get off that dude. Like he's not coming in here and doing anything. Sorry. Yeah. 
this is this is again practice squad player and and not that it is unprecedented for a practice squad player to come up from said practice squad and perform andrew tiller of course is the most notable recently but this is definitely not someone who is a game changer not someone who's going to plug in where ray ray was and uh, and expect to be as good or to support the defense in a way that is is fundamentally going to alter the structure of that defense so uh, that's basically the injury news Second really is going to be about injury news as well, and that's going to be that the backup line spots are really unsettled. Joshua Garnett, surprisingly, is quote-unquote getting more and more comfortable with NFL speed, according to Curtis Motkins. Um, David, are you at all concerned that Joshua Garnett can't break through this starting lineup either on the left or right side when you've got Beatles um, and you've got Tiller as players that were not themselves first-round draft picks? I mean, a, a little bit. I think I get the argument, um, you know, to some extent about, OK, he joined the team late and he, he missed, you know, really most of the offseason because of uh, the school conflicts with, with Stanford there and when their um, semesters got finished. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, there's a little something to that. Obviously, as a rookie, that there's always that kind of transition period and you rarely see rookies come in and kind of be impact players right from the beginning of the season because there is like all of the adjustment that they have to go through. And so he's kind of behind the curve on even that a little bit. Um, but it's, it's definitely concerning. I mean, I mean, I think he absolutely needs to be in that starting lineup at some point this year. You know, I get if you want to bring him along slowly and that's, and that's fine. But if all of a sudden, you know, here in another few weeks, we're not seeing him, you know, take over because I, I really think Zane Beatles is a spot. Um, he, he has played very poorly through the first two weeks. Uh, so if, if, at any point we don't see Josh Garnett beat him out for that starting left guard spot, like something, something's wrong. And I think you start to get a little bit concerned there as to what's going on with him. Well, I find it interesting because I compare him to his fellow first rounder DeForest Buckner, who is basically dominating defensive line snaps at this point. The, the coaching staff is like, look, we can't take this guy off the field. And it's, it's proving to work in, in several instances. Buckner is by no means a finished product, but he's still making an impact in the game. And you look at someone like Zane Beatles, and he's the person who's controlling the the silent count now. He's the person who's tapping the the center's leg. And Curtis Modkins today specifically talked about how they trust him to do that. I don't know if that's coach speak. I don't know if that's just whoever's on the left is going to tap the shoulder uh, or tap the leg. What the like? How they trust him to look back at the quarterback, give a little nod when Gabbert's ready. And then tap the dude on the side. Like, give me a fucking break. Like, hey, come man, on. That's that's rough work, man. It's really, really rough work. I it's can do that part of it. Like, it, we're, we're talking about jobs that I can do that an offensive lineman does. That's the one I can do. That one right there. <laughs> I mean, I think really what we're left with, the only thing that we're left with here is that Chip Kelly clearly hates Stanford. That's the only takeaway, yeah. I think, at this point. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 the, that's it. That's it. No further uh, evidence it, needed. Yeah, that's it. And then Anthony Davis is still not cleared for for football activity. He is in the weight room. He's on a stationary bike. Basically, uh, he's not doing things because he is in the concussion protocol, which remember that before he retired, of course, he missed something like seven or eight weeks as a result of post-concussion symptoms that lingered way too long. So this is a little concerning at this point. This is a guy who can't decide whether or not he wants to play, not play, retire, unretire. And the reason that he retired is now rearing its ugly head, pun definitely intended. And it, it is definitely concerning. Boo to that pun. Bad pun. It's a terrible pun, one that you tear off a piece of paper. That's awful, too. <laughs> I almost tore all those off at of your office early today, though. Yes, those exist for realsies in my office. 
I'm gonna nothing to add to this conversation right now. There it is. I derailed it. I derailed it <laughs> yep. uh, one time. The old Richard Reininger derail. Gosh, there it is. Got it right there. So let's get into this Panthers game review because it was an interesting game. You look at the final score and it's a blowout. It's 46-27. The Panthers covered, which I didn't think they were going to do. I had the Panthers winning, by, but only winning by 11. Uh, and so you look at the fourth quarter and you're like, oh my God, the 49ers are within seven points. And you know the final score doesn't reflect that. They are one Vance McDonald drink. For those of you playing the Better Rivals drinking game at home, uh, you know that when Vance McDonald dropped that perfectly placed pass, which wasn't often from Blaine Gabbert that it that happened. It was the only good throw that he made all day. Um, well, I think the other one to Vance McDonald was pretty good, too. The one where no, he that went one wasn't, ended up. That was fine. Dude was wide open. I'm not giving him credit for that one. <laughs> the fact that he actually got it, like the only credit that he gets for that throw is the fact that he got it in a spot that he could actually make a reception, like that it wasn't and, and keep running over his head. The only and good keep thing running. That's did. right. It was fine. Yeah, he dropped. He dropped that pass in a beautiful place because he dropped it over the linebacker, over the dropping linebacker, no less, and gets it right onto Vance's hands. And Vance is going to Vance, and everyone at home drinks. Uh, and so at, at that point, if he catches that, the Niners are in business, and they could tie the game. But instead, it ends up being forty-six twenty-seven, and it, you know it certainly looks like a blowout. So what the hell happened? Why was this game so weird? Where you look at the stat lines and. You know, Carlos Hyde averages 2.4 yards per carry, but all of a sudden we're in it in the fourth quarter and then eventually get blown out. I mean, weird, I think, is definitely the way to describe this game. I mean, it's uh, it was simultaneously never really in doubt. Like you never really thought that the Panthers weren't going to win the game, but it was never really embarrassing either. Like it, it was never like the 49ers just weren't competitive. I mean, obviously the score, there was a couple points there where it started to get that lead started to grow. Obviously, by the end, it grew to, to nearly 20 points there. Um, but it, it didn't actually feel like this wasn't Pittsburgh or Arizona from week two and three last year, right? Where it was just, I mean, that Pittsburgh game, for instance, that was over midway through the first quarter. It, it, there was just like that. They were there were so clearly an inferior team um, that it was just like, why even bother playing the last three and a half quarters of this game? You never really felt like that in this one. So yeah, it was just kind of a strange game to, to watch overall. Well, I think the, the thing for me was that, you know, we've been saying this year that this is going to be probably a five or six, one team, but it'll just be a more competitive five or six, one team. And I think that what you just said is the distillation of that, of that argument, right? I, I had fun at points in this game. I was like, yeah, we're within seven. Let's do this. Let's go. You know? So I was having fun at times, but there were other times where I was like, well, this is the Niners we know and love. And, and it started, I think, up front where the 49ers just simply were not able to generate any kind of pressure on Cam Newton. Um, the the offensive line or the defensive line, I thought, going into this game, especially after what they did to the Rams, I thought they'd be able to get a little pressure. And at times they did. But Cam Newton's just looked like he could go back there, survey the field, and throw some dimes. And that's exactly what he did. A lot of that is just because Cam Newton is damn good at football. Um, and, and that's just what he's going to do. He does not. That man has no fear in the pocket. Yeah, I he mean, just, he he doesn't. It doesn't matter. He's like, I'm. It doesn't matter. You're gonna hit me, and I'm not even gonna wear a mouth guard. I'm just gonna chew on this gum. I'm gonna hang out. I'm gonna throw these dimes. Come at me, bro. And he's just gonna smile through it too. Yeah. Pearly whites. I mean, the the I think one of the best examples of that from this game was the 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 touchdown pass to Benjamin on the slant, the shorter one, um, yeah. where. 
I mean, I think it was Eli Harold came free off the edge there like immediately. Um, and Cam just stood in there, like fired a strike where only Benjamin could get it. Um, and, and it was just like didn't matter that he got that Eli Harold's helmet was in his chest at the time that he was thrown. Like just wasn't a big deal. I mean, I thought, um, you know, Jeff Dini uh, of PFF had a, a pretty great stat, I think, for for Cam. Um Average time from snap to release was 2.59 seconds, which was the seventh longest time in week two. Yet he was only pressured on 17% of dropbacks. So he's he's able to hold on to the ball for a significant amount of time in the pocket and still not get pressured. Usually when you see quarterbacks hang on to the ball that long, they tend to have really high pressure rates because eventually, you know, even if that pass rush isn't great necessarily, offensive line starts to break down after a little bit and you're going to get some pressure. And that just didn't happen in this game. I mean, you had a few moments there from Armstead and Buckner where they were able to kind of get through and get a hurry, but only two hits in this game. Um, They did end up with the one sack, but I I mean, those were pretty big anomalies uh, compared to, you know, every single drop back that he had essentially where he just had what felt like all day to throw in this game. Well, and even the one sack was Gerald Hodges basically running at Cam Newton and tackling him at the line of scrimmage. Right. Like, Ex- I'm pretty exactly. sure after he had went, the ball for a while. I think that went in the stat sheet as one sack for zero yards, I think, is, is, is was the official line on that sack. And then, of course, there's the fumble and then you've got the recovery and off you go. So, you know, I think at this point we, we talked last week about DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead, and I, they're definitely good. They're evolving. But Armstead at this point is because of his injury being played as a situational pass rusher and DeForest Buckner, I think still has a ways to go to put moves on moves. And they did move them inside. As we saw last week, they did move them around a little bit, but ultimately, especially in the trenches, this was either an offensive line that could handle what was, what they were doing or a quarterback that could handle it when his offensive line couldn't. Yeah. And I will say um, before we, and we're going to talk about the 49ers offensive line uh, as well here, but I think the 49ers defense was much better in, in run defense in this game. Like the, that wasn't nearly as bad. The The final numbers were a little bit gaudy. Um, like I think it was 176 was their kind of final total there at like five yards a clip or something like that. Well, um, Forrest Whitaker by himself, Fozzie Whitaker, we've got to call him Fozzie Bear. Although I do hate the fact that he ran against the 49ers. He did go to Texas uh, and he's uh, he was a really, really special back at Texas, but he had 16 carries, 100 yards. Average 6.2 yards a carry. Cam Newton then also added another 37. Uh, and then you had, of course, you know, the other players, one of which was injured early in the game. But yeah, I mean, Fozzie Bear getting 100 yards at 6.2 per, per carry doesn't look good. But the, So I, I think the thing with that is, and this was the case, I think, for their run game as a whole, right? When you look at the, the total amount of yardage that they had, there were really just a few plays that were kind of big. And, and some of those didn't even matter, right? So you had the one that did, which was the longest run, which was uh, Fozzie's 25-yard game. Um, which could have been prevented. I mean, that was a missed tackle by Navarro Bowman away from being, you know, a three or four yard gain. Um, and then some of them, there was a 16 yard gain that came on third and 21 that didn't matter. Uh, and then Cam had a couple of them. And, and, and I think these were just really good play calls, but it's hard to put a ton of fault here on the 49ers run defense. But there were two design quarterback runs in in what would otherwise be very obvious pass situations. One came at the end of the first half. And another one came on a third and long at the end of the third quarter. And Cam picked up, I think, 30 yards total on those two runs. So, I mean, there there were some spots there where they picked up some big chunks of yardage. But 
it wasn't, you know, I, I think when you look at a snap by snap basis and, and looking at each carry that because they had they, they ran the ball 37 times in this game. So outside of maybe five of those plays, I mean, the run defense was really good. I think 21 of those carries went for three yards or less. Um, so the run defense, I, I, I did think looked a lot better than the overall numbers suggested. But uh, again, kind of wrapping back around to that initial point there they couldn't do anything from a pass rush standpoint. And I think that was a, a big part of the reason you see 46 points on the board at the end of the game. So the offensive line then for the 49ers, they, they took one step forward and one step back. The pass protection was much more improved over what we saw in week one, but good old Glenn Babbert. Um, Glenn which, Babbert. Can we, can we stop here for just one second? David, can you tell us, please, you had, you wrote an article that posted ahead of the Carolina game on Friday uh, and, and you, you know, Glenn Babbert's a thing. If you missed the Glenn Babbert train, there was a, a picture that I think that came up on the 49ers subreddit on, Re- uh, on Reddit, I guess, cause it would be a subreddit and it, it flopped the letters in, uh, I can't even say Blaine Gabbert now. In, it's because he doesn't exist. It's, it's only Glenn, Glenn Babbert from now on. That's right. And it's, it's really, really funny. I'm, I'm probably going to tweet it out here in a second, but it, there was you got a really really uh, awesome email based on the fact that you, as a professional sports writer, can't even get the damn player's name right. Oh man, uh, this was this was by far the best email. So I don't I don't get like a ton of emails directly. Uh, I have like my email account listed, the one that I normally use for like football stuff, uh, on my profile page at, at SB Nation. So every once in a while, some things will will come in. Um, but it's usually like, you know, nothing, nothing too serious, definitely nothing too negative all that much. Um, not, not that popular yet to get like all of the crazy stuff that you hear about a lot of sports writers getting, but this one was fantastic. So uh, I have it pulled up here. He says, Hey, I do not know what kind of background you do have when it comes to journalism or covering sports, but at least when you write a story, use spell check or better yet, make sure you get the damn names, right? Glenn Babbert. What the fuck? Yep, like, that's uh, uh, that's our fans, everybody. Like, also, I mean, there's so many great things there. Uh, one, I love that he thinks that spell check would correct that because spell check, <laughs> like, is gonna know what Blaine get. They Blaine Gabbers. That's not how spell check works, homie. Like, I think he assumes that you you put all the players' names into your into your my spell dictionary. check. <laughs> yeah, into your dictionary. So you that's this doesn't happen again. This is why iPhones exist, right? iPhone autocorrect should totally get that. Also, if you would have noticed, if you would have paid any attention in that article, Glenn Babbert was linked to the Photoshopped image, like to the tweet of the Photoshopped image. All you had to do was click on it. If you didn't, if you happened to miss that, if you weren't on the internet for the entire week or something and you missed that, like just click on that link and it will all make sense. Um, so yeah, that was, that was fantastic. That was the, maybe the greatest email that I've ever received. Yeah. So it was, uh, it's good stuff. David, you were over when, uh, when you actually got that email, uh, you were wrapping up your trip and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty funny that to see you just start busting up <laughs> laughing for no apparent reason while you're sitting on the couch. Uh, but with good old Glenn Babbert wasn't kept quite as clean as Cam Newton, but generally was given ample time to throw. And this isn't even considering the fact that he generally releases the ball pretty quickly because he loves to throw short of the sticks and super quick. But overall, we we said this in the preseason. We saw it after one week, even though they were going up against a Rams defensive line that completely obliterated 
the old Seattle Seahawks offensive line, which we'll talk about in a minute. But you go down kind of line by line. You've got Joe Staley, who's going to Joe Staley. Trent Brown had a clean sheet in pass protection. The interior O-line uh, offensive line didn't embarrass themselves against Lotu Lele. Um, and Marcus Martin, well, we'll get to him in a minute. So, you know, by and large, you had a, a collection of, off- of offensive linemen that at least in the passing game looked like they could hold their own against a good defensive Carolina front. Yeah, I mean, this was, uh, I think, stood in pretty stark contrast to what we've seen, you know, especially last year and then even in in 2014, right, with the the group that they had out there then. So um, I thought it was a really good effort against a front. Again, that's that's very good. I mean, they don't have necessarily any like top tier Von Miller style pass rushers, but, um, you know, overall, it's a good front. They have some depth there and they do have some guys that can get after the passer. I mean, Charles Johnson, solid off the edge. So. Um, yeah, I thought it was it was really impressive there. And you mentioned that, you know, Gabbert's usually somebody that's that gets rid of the ball pretty quickly, doesn't take a lot of shots downfield. I thought one of the stats that kind of illustrated how much more time he had in this game relative to what we're really used to were the number of passes that he was actually able to get downfield. So um, in week one with I think I believe it was 35 pass attempts, nine of those traveled over 10 yards in the air um, this week with uh, only one more pass attempt. 16 passes went over 10 yards so he had a little bit more time to throw was able I mean, he wasn't successful on most of these throws but it, he at least had the, <laughs> the time to attempt them which i, I suppose still, is a solid it's still glane babbard after all yeah. it's still glane babbard i mean uh the, the outcome was rarely good but at least you know when you're looking uh looking for some positives there i mean he had time um you know had a lot of clean pockets to work from really and and even when he got pressured it was it tended to be pretty late like after some time had gone by there were very few snaps where he was just immediately getting pressured and kind of the play was was completely blown to crap so uh yeah i thought that was a a very encouraging step and again they're going to be tested this week um with a seattle defense that is again very good so we'll see how it goes before we switch to the way that the, the offensive line blocked against or for the run game, I think the picture I tweeted out uh, when I first started looking at the game film on Tuesday was the moment he decided to leave the pocket on his first pass play or his second pass play when it was absolutely clean and he had an absolute – like he, there was no reason for him to leave that pocket. And instead, he just starts running and eventually throws an incomplete pass and it's like, come on, man. Come on, just stand in there a little bit longer and move through your progression, take an extra hitch step, and you're going to see something break open. But instead, well, Glane Babbert. Glane going to Glane. Glane going to Glane. I still think we need to run with our motivational quote idea. Oh, um, oh, it's going to happen. Once we we get some time, uh, just wait. We're not going to even explain that to you yet. You just, it's a little tease. It's what we call a tease in the biz. Yeah. This, in in the biz. In the biz. That's what we're in now. Yeah, this is podcast foreplay. <laughs> we're we're gonna play Ira Glass and soothe you with a bottle of wine. <laughs> but let's talk about the offensive line and, and their run blocking for a second, because for the second straight week, um, they were abysmal. The 49ers ranked 30th in adjusted line yards after two weeks. Uh, adjusted line yards, of course, is Football Outsiders' metric for uh, judging the performance of an offensive line. Uh, Latin, and you've got 2.4 uh, adjusted line yards and then 2.9 yards per carry. It basically. It's not good. Carlos yeah. Hyde's getting hit early, and the things that he is doing, he is doing because he's Carlos Hyde. And he did a few of them against the the Rams, but against the Panthers, who have really good 
second level defenders as well as interior linemen who are occupying those double teams all of a sudden now you don't have as much space to run things aren't going to be as productive when you bounce them outside and you get the type of stat line that I think for Carlos Hyde was uh, 14 for 34 for 2.4 yards and Sean Drone is 9 for 21 for 2.3 yards so is that, overall, is that not very good is that not no, good? no no I, I don't believe no, not unless um, – no, I can't even think of an analogy that would make that okay. Uh, but, yeah, that's pretty bad, all in all. It's just yeah, I mean, the, so the disparity that you mentioned there, too, between the adjusted line yards and the yards per carry, I mean, whenever you see adjusted line yards, you know, significantly, we're talking uh, a little over a half-yard difference there, lower than what the actual yards per carry figure is. That means that the yards that, that, that they are getting on the ground, which, granted, are not good, um, but those yards are predominantly due to the efforts of the running back as opposed to the offensive line. Whereas the disparity, if the disparity is the other way, right? So if you have a high adjusted line yards, but a, a lower yards per carry, then you have crappy running backs essentially is what that's trying to tell you is that your offensive line is giving them room to work. And basically what yardage you do get on the ground is due to their work as opposed to anything the running back's doing. Um, but this isn't anything new with Hyde, right? We talked about, um, all off season and even last season while he was in there, um, how good he is at, at breaking tackles and getting yards after contact. And so even though right now he's averaging uh, only 3.3 yards per carry through two weeks, but nearly 80% of those yards were coming after contact. So he, he's just not getting anything given to him from his offensive line. Any yards that they get are a result of the work these backs are doing and you saw it again in this in this game. So, I mean, you had Lotelele and, and Short on the interior there, and there were just a number of plays where they're blowing up the three guys on the inside of the offensive line, um, and Hyde is having to, you know, try to improvise. And like you mentioned, in, in this game, there's not as much room for that because the Panthers' linebackers are so much better than what you had in St. Louis. Um, but it, it's, it's the same story where a lot of these runs that, that chip runs, uh, you know, with inside zone and power, these are interior runs that are usually designed to hit in the a gaps, the way that they run them. Um, and so when all of a sudden those a gaps are just getting decimated moments after the snap, like the backs got to look elsewhere. And so that's how you end up seeing a lot of the, the bounced runs, you know, where all of a sudden Hyde's trying to get to the sideline and trying to turn the corner, cutting back very sharply. Um, you know, these are ha- these things are happening because not because Hyde's like missing some big hole in the middle, but because there's absolutely no room on the inside to run. So while Trent Brown has been getting praised for his ability to win the starting job away from Anthony Davis, and he was praised by Von Miller in the preseason as being one of the better right tackles. Most of that's been in the passing game. At least this season, he's been especially bad against the run. He currently boasts pro football Focus's second worst run block grade against tackles and that's out of 67 so far so it's going to be not just problems along the interior but also problems along the edges as well now one thing that was happening often and one thing we've talked about too is how the the success of chip kelly's game is also predicated a little bit on the quarterback being able to threaten the run even if they don't actually run and a lot of the comments that I was seeing on Twitter and, and on Reddit and, on, and a couple of other places was, you know, why can't Blaine Gabbert just keep the ball? If Blaine Gabbert could have just kept it there, then, you know, that would have put a little bit of pressure on the defense or something. But quarterbacks just can't choose to keep it on zone reads, right? Like they're reading defenders. And that's why that play is effective because you're punishing the defense for what they're guessing wrong. It's not like the quarterback can just say, I'm going to go ahead and keep it this one, even though I'm staring 
at like my, at Thomas Davis or someone. Um, it's not as simple as quarterbacks just choose to keep it. Yeah, I mean, definitely have to have to get those reads. I, I think there were maybe a couple opportunities there where he could have looked to keep it. Um, and then the other thing you have to consider is a lot of these plays, like there's not necessarily even a read, right? So a lot of times you get that same sort of action, right? You get that same sort of um, mesh point in the back, and then you know the quarterback will take off towards the sideline like they do um, after they hand it off. But there's not actually a read involved. Like that's just to give the defense um, similar action, like backfield action to look at to where things look the same when they do end up going with the read. Um, but it's just a designed handoff the entire way. So yeah, you can't, you know, always just look and say, Oh, like the, the run got bottled up. He should have, should have kept it. Like there's more involved there. Um, one thing that I thought too, that like Carolina did that was, um, that ended up being very effective was they kind of cheated an extra guy in the box late oftentimes. So whether that was, um, you know, a safety that would kind of come down uh, like right at the last minute in the box to give them an extra defender there. Um, or one thing they would do is Shaq Thompson would often go out like uh, as as the slot corner, essentially. But he would kind of sit halfway between the slot corner and the tackle box. And he would just kind of dare them to really throw. They'd usually keep a safety over the top there. So if you had two receivers on that side, um, they would kind of do a, a, a little three over two look where you had the corner there. Thompson kind of zoned in the inside and then he had a deep safety over the top. And what that allowed them to do was have Thompson kind of cheat, cheat into the run game. Like he was able to, uh, you know, quickly get in there, even though he wasn't technically in the box at the snap. So they did blitz pressure off the edge. The, the, and even the scrambles weren't there. And that's mostly because the, the, the Panthers had some zone coverage that were just ready to pounce, right? They weren't playing as much man coverage as the Rams play. And when defenders are playing in zone coverage, they're looking at the quarterback. I mean, that's what they're doing, right? So you don't have as many lanes for for good old Blaine Gabbard to run through. So that all basically bottled up the quarterback running game. And when your regular running game isn't working well, all of a sudden you're going to have to try and beat teams through the air. And surprise, surprise, the 49ers couldn't actually take advantage of the Panthers' weak secondary because it's not as though the Panthers were coming into this game with an all-world secondary. Yeah, this was one of the things that we mentioned, you know, in in the preview part of last week's episode that uh, was something to watch, right? Like the the Panthers secondary was definitely the weak point of this unit. Um, They didn't look great against Trevor Simeon in in week one, which is kind of saying something. Um, So you thought that, okay, if they have any hope of staying uh, competitive and keeping this game close, like they're going to have to find ways to take advantage of the secondary uh, and it just didn't really happen. You know, we mentioned that Gabbert threw the ball 16 times over 10 yards uh, this week. Another stat, you know, the rest of those numbers, courtesy of our, our guy, Jeff Dini there, only completed five of those 16 throws for 120 yards. Uh, both touchdowns came there, but also both interceptions. Uh, overall, a 59.3 rating. So now you compare that to Cam Newton, who went 10 for 16 for 259 yards, three touchdowns, zero picks, and 145.8 rating. And a shiny smile. Yeah, I mean, some of those throws that Cam had. I mean, the one, the one to Ginn that didn't actually end up counting. Oh um, God, that was it oh hit Ginn in the hands, and it's just like it was peak Ginn, and it was peak Newton. I mean, that was that was two players at their peak. One of which results in a dime. The other of which results in a dropped ball with him staring at his hands, wondering I think there why. Were, he, there were two, right? So there was. Yeah, there were two deep ones to Ginn. I think they were both to Ginn anyway. Um, there was the, the one. one well, the, the, that was incomplete eventually, but he dropped it over his shoulder and Ginn barely stepped on the line. Yeah, so that was and, the first one. That one was like in the first quarter, I think. And then there was the one I think you were mentioning first there 
um, that came a little bit later in the game that was on more of a, a fade down the sideline. Um, but yeah, they were just like, I mean, th- there were throws, what, probably 40, 50 yards downfield, just like dropped on a dime. It was stupid. Yeah. Um, but yeah. but anyway, so I mean, you, one of the things that, that you look at here, like something that's going to be so important to watch with this offense, and, and it really, I think, is going to ultimately determine if this offense is any good this year. Teams are going to drop guys in the box, right? They're going to throw extra defenders in there. Like, they know that the that chip wants to be able to spread things out so that they can run. And if you don't have a threat to, you know, th- a threat on the outside in the passing game, they're not going to do that. And so you saw Carolina consistently, again, drop an extra guy into the box there where they could outnumber the number of blockers that the 49ers had. And when that happens, you have to be able to take advantage of those one-on-one matchups on the outside. I mean, there was a, after the first turnover, the first field goal that the 49ers uh, ended up settling for after that interception on their first drive. Um, there was a, a play, I think, where just outside the five, where they had nine. Carolina had nine defenders in the box, and there was just and so you had two your two receivers for the 49ers split off to the left hand side, just singled up. Nobody else, like no help, nothing. Like, and if that's not a signal for okay, we need to be able to throw the ball and get in the end zone on this play. Like, I don't know what is. And and what ended up happening, they, like, stuck with the run call, ended up getting blown up in the backfield for a five-yard loss. And, like, that's what's going to happen to this offense because, yes, they want to run the ball, but they can't do that. They're not talented enough to be able to successfully run the ball consistently without some sort of threat of, of a downfield pass game on the outside. Um, and, and so we just didn't see it, again, against a secondary that's not that great. Now you're taking them to seattle on the road has you know one of if not the best secondary in football like it's just uh it's hard to know how this offense makes things work and it doesn't matter like there's no scheme to fix this right like if you just don't have a quarterback willing to take those chances or you don't have receivers that can take advantage on the outside when those chances are there like i don't know what you really do with that well, if you remove the 75-yard touchdown of Vance McDonald, good old Glenn Babbert averaged 4.8 yards per attempt on 35 attempts. I'm pretty sure that there are several running backs in the NFL who averaged more yards per carry than Glenn Babbert had in the air. So if you're not sure about that number and you're not, sure, and you're not sure how to contextualize it, um, I believe the word you're looking for is shitty, I think <laughs> is, is really the word you're looking for. That is uh, a word for that. Yes. Yeah. Now, last week we talked about the mesh concept being one of Chip Kelly's preferred passing concepts and how he needed to begin to run this from different looks. And turns out he kind of started to do that. Yeah, it was it was really nice to see. Um, I don't think they actually ran uh, mesh from that look. Like, I don't think they ran mesh all game, if I remember correctly. Maybe they snuck it in there once or twice, but... I don't um, remember seeing it. My memory is way worse than yours but <laughs> I, I don't remember seeing it yeah so it, i mean and they but they went to that formation so if you if you didn't listen to last week's show or if you forgot basically the formation that has been the tell for that concept in chip's offense is when they go to a two by two formation which is two receivers to each side of the center um and then on one side they're closed so they're tight to the the rest of the offensive line usually this has been you know two tight ends kind of just in line there and then on the other side, they're open. So you have your two receivers split out wide. That has been pretty much just a dead giveaway for mesh coming. And in this game, they use that formation. They use that that look uh, a good amount. I would say like that might have been the most common formation that they went to um, in, in this game. But they did some different things from it. So 
Um, one of the things that I, I think you saw most was probably four verts out of that, uh, which is is a really great formation because what you end up doing is your pass strength and your run strength are to two different sides of the formation. So what ends up happening from a defense's perspective is a lot of your your help pass defenders go to that two receiver side. And so you can really take advantage if you have somebody that's not Clayne Babbert um, with that two tight end side, because that's your run strength. So you're going to get like, that's where your linebackers are at. You know, maybe you get one safety that's hanging out around over there, but usually you can get a pretty good matchup for your tight end in those situations. And there was one opportunity that they had where they had both tight ends going up there and Gabbert threw it like 10 yards past them in between them. Like it was just, I don't even know where he was going. I I honestly couldn't tell you which one was the intended receiver. Um, It was just like right in the middle. Um, So whatever. Uh, But but again, this is, we're talking about chips, uh, you know, adjustments here. Chip can't do anything about that. Um, and so, yeah, you saw, you saw a lot of that. Actually, the, the Tory, if you're looking for a positive play, the Tory Smith play, um, up the seam early in that game came on four verts out of this formation. Uh, though that was also a poorly thrown pass, um, ran the ball quite a bit, which they hadn't really done from this formation, you know, at least in week one, um, didn't see a whole lot of run plays from that. So you started to get some, some different things for the defense to think about when you come out in that look. Uh, I, I still think they need to a get some uh, get a pass concept like at least one other one that has similar route stems because even if you run say like two or three different concepts from this look, if they all have very distinct route stems for uh, the receivers, like it's very easy for the defense to quickly identify which one it is after the snap. Right? Okay, he's breaking inside. It's this one. I can go ahead and jump this route. Oh, he's. You know, the slot receiver is going straight up the field. That's this concept, so I can jump this. Like, you have to have things that look a little bit similar so that it, they can't quite key on that right after the snap. Um, so you, hopefully you see something like that. Um, and then the other one is we want to see mesh out of some different looks, right? See them do that from different formations. Um, so because it, it is still a successful concept when the defense doesn't know that it's coming every time. So at the top of this segment, we talked about how this game looked weird. It looked weird because it was never really in question. I think the win probability for the Carolina Panthers never dipped below 84%. And that was even when we had gotten to within seven. So this is a game that looked weird, but it looked weird because we weren't able to get to Cam Newton. We were not able to pressure him at all. The offensive line did not block well for the run game, really for uh, that offense to, uh, to start clicking get ahead of the sticks, or at least get ahead of the sticks on first down. Uh, and they certainly, um, even though they protected a little better, um, did not really, it doesn't matter how much time you give Blaine Gabbert, he's just not a very good quarterback, and they couldn't take advantage of the Panthers' weak secondary. And ultimately, you put that all in a bag, shake it up, and you end up with a team with superior talent that does some things well, that prevented the 49ers' offense from doing things well. And even with four turnovers in this game, even with four turnovers, uh, that's pretty much the only reason it was close. So that about wraps up our recap of the Carolina game. But we're going to get to two segments that we're going to do here uh, week over week. And that's going to be really Spotlight Player of the Week, where we'll highlight one player and tell you why. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's Glenn Babbert. Actually, no, it won't ever be Glenn Babbert. Uh, and two... Not. Yeah, really no. Not unless he blows up for like 350 yards and four touchdowns. So that'll be something, huh? Okay, so he's um, definitely not going to be the spotlight player. 
<laughs> Two, we're going to bring you the stat of the week. Every week, we're going to bring you one statistic that we think is really interesting, whether it be interesting, instructive, destructive, or whatnot. Uh, and then we're going to talk about some NFL quick hits, a quick roundup of some of the stuff that happened this week. This week, brought to you by one Mr. Richard Reininger. Before we get into the game preview for next week and our prediction. So let's go right down the line. Spotlight player of the week. I think this week, David, we decided on one Mr. Jimmy Ward, mostly because everyone was kind of clamoring about how Jimmy Ward was not very good at football because Kelvin Benjamin. I mean, Kelvin Benjamin is large um, and he's pretty good at football. Uh, so, so, I mean, there were those two things. Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned so I, I didn't even have an opportunity like I didn't watch this game live. So I wasn't really able to follow along on Twitter and, and see a lot of the reaction and whatnot. And and I, you had mentioned before the show that people were having some like Brandon Marshall flashbacks, uh, which is just kind of absurd. I mean, this wasn't in any way the same type of game. Um, I mean, you look at the the biggest play that uh, Benjamin had was just an absurd catch against great coverage, right? Like there they actually like that play was was really kind of interesting like it was a an eight man blitz so they ended up like yeah, it was single coverage all the way it was like your guy against our guy let's see what happens yeah they were all three going deep um obviously uh cam chose to to throw it up to newton there or uh, throw it up to benjamin um i mean i don't know what else you want jimmy ward to do in that situation the dude got his like he broke up the pass and then benjamin just grabbed it from midair anyway like Sometimes you just got to say, okay, these dudes get paid too, and like, you know, tip your hat to the opponent. And that's just like one hell of a play. Um, The only like uh, reception that he allowed to Benjamin specifically um, that I really took issue with was the uh, the second touchdown. I think it was I forget the order of them. Um, The one in the corner, like the one on the out route uh, right at the front pylon there, Um, because what you ended up seeing like so. Again, it was an out route from Benjamin. He had a, a, a pretty condensed split, like it was pretty tight to the line of scrimmage. And that's a u- usually a pretty big giveaway for either one, a drag route, he's going all the way across the field, or two, some sort of outbreaking route. So once he releases vertically, you know it's not going to be the first one. So you have to really be anticipating that it's going to be some sort of outbreaking route at that point. And the the way that he had set up uh you know from the get go really put him at a disadvantage to where he wasn't going to be able to ever break on an outbreaking route um and, and cuz he was kind of like he was facing inside the whole way he was kind of like half backpedaling half like uh what's the, what do they call it like the the little thing that you do in warm ups um like that like karaoke is that oh like? the, karaoke. the karaoke yeah i yeah. which i always found a weird weird name for that exercise yeah um, very but, strange. Yeah, carry um, it's yeah. kind of it's kind of like that, right? So he's he's just kind of moving to the side, and so basically he has to turn a, a full 180 degrees to be able to make any sort of play on that ball. So he kind of put himself in in bad position on that one. Um, but I mean the the rest of those snaps, like I didn't have an issue with his coverage, right? Like he was generally in good position. Um, a couple of them, he was able to like get his hand in there and uh, you know at least contest those throws. So again, sometimes like the other guys, they're they're good too every once in a while. So the stat of the week then this week is going to be one that I was surprised to find out. And that is that the 49ers, as of the end of week two, are a top 10 team based on value over average. Now, value over average is kind of like the precursor to DVOA or defensive adjusted value over average. This week, they haven't adjusted for defenses yet. Uh, and I would think that, you know, th- it would be interesting to see how this Carolina game affects that. But based on, again, today, 
the 49ers are overall a top 10 team based on the average performance for NFL teams this year. And I don't think that's going to hold uh, all year, obviously. But even to have a team that has a head coach that has been able to scheme some players open on offense, a defensive coordinator that seems to understand some of the pieces that he has and how to deploy them. Uh, We haven't even talked about Eric Reed, and I don't know that we're going to get a chance to, but he was, uh, I think PFF has him rated as their top safety so far. Uh, This is a team that coaching, I don't think, is the issue. At this point, you're talking about talent and execution for realsies, not the kind of execution that Tom Sula was talking about. And so all of a sudden you've got a, a team that is top 10 in value over average, which I think is pretty neat. Yeah. And, and you would think that, um, OK, so maybe they get a slight hit once you once you have the D and DVOA there, you know, once you give it the D. And I do mean D. <laughs> uh, so you so you think that, OK, maybe they take a little bit of a hit for St. Louis not being very good, um, but they should get a boost. You know, that should kind of balance itself out a little bit so far um, by by the boost that they'll get from playing Carolina. Um yeah, I mean, the defense, you know, they, they performed very well um, based on what VOA had to say about that game. So once you factor in that Carolina is probably going to have a pretty good offense this year, like that could look even more impressive. And it's weird to say that I get when you when you have a team that just gave up 46 points, but it really wasn't that poor of an effort, I think, defensively. Again, I think the run defense looked really good that they played pretty well, had some breakdowns in pass coverage for sure and, and, and weren't able to win some one on one matchups. But it, again, that we're not talking about we, we were never going to be talking about this defense as a top like five or 10 unit to begin with. We said, OK, really best case scenario is we start to see some of these young players develop and we go from bottom of the league to hovering somewhere around average. And, and I think we're seeing signs of that. Right. I, I think what we've seen through two weeks indicates that that's probably how things are going to go uh, over the course of the season. All right, so let's get to the next segment. That's going to be NFL Quick Hits. Really, this is going to be a version of the lightning round that we had during the divisional previews with some of the other SB Nation and other team beat writers for the NFC West. So we thought we'd bring it around for the rest of the season and get some NFL Quick Hits. So, Richard, this is your time to shine. And just like in years past, in podcast past, uh, you came unprepared, not knowing exactly what you were going to talk about. Uh, But over the course of... Uh, us breaking the game down, you've managed to put together your segment. And uh, and now it's your time to shine, my friend. Uh, yeah, I actually, um, you put it together mostly for me. I just filled in the gaps. <laughs> um, so uh, here we go. Um, guys, is uh, Sam Bradford for real? Define for real. Uh, well, he, 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 he beat Green Bay after like <laughs> just two weeks of being on the Vikings team without Adrian Peterson. That's pretty big, right? Yeah, I think for real is a stretch. I think if he's going to succeed anywhere, I think it's going to be with Norv Turner. So I guess I don't think it's a fluke, but I don't know that he can sustain that performance for a whole season. I, I, I mean, you know I me, mean, this won't be a surprise. Uh, I need to see more than one game. I mean, this is a dude that's been in the league how long now? Like five years? Or six this years. Is five, six, six years? This, this six year? Like, I'm gonna. Yeah, it was t- six, I think. I'm gonna take the five years of evidence that said Sam Bradford wasn't a good quarterback over the one game that says he might be turning a corner. Like, I'll, I'll believe when I see it. Okay, whatever. Um, I say for real because I like to jump to conclusions real fast. Um, <laughs> question two. Welcome back, Richard. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Bradford's gonna. Bradford's for real. Yeah. Uh, okay. Are the Eagles a ten-win team, guys? I think they are. No. They've played what might be the number one and number two picks in this year's draft. 
Yeah, so there are there are some interesting things to tease out from DVOA, right? So right now they are ranked number one in in value over average in in, in VOA without the defense adjustment, right? But ever since two thousand three, every team ranked number one uh, in VOA after week two has made the playoffs and finished at least ten and six. That's no guarantee, but if we're talking about Sam Bradford being for real, and granted, again, it's just two games. Carson Wentz looks awesome. He looks really good. Does that mean he's going to have you know a phenomenal career? I, who knows, right? But I think the Eagles team is good enough to be a 10-win team, especially in that division. I think they get 10 wins. Browns have the worst defense in football. The Bears might be next. Like, again, need to see more than two games. No thanks. Not, not, not hitching my wagon to that. But Big Fangio. Fangio. I mean, last year, what was their defense here? Real quick. It was bad. It was real bad. It, it was, was I think uh, they, 31st, I think. I'm going to guess 31st. Oh, they managed to get it up uh, a little bit higher over the course of the season. I know it started really bad. So he managed to get it up to 16. Uh, and they were at the bottom for most of the year. Oh, wow. That's the um, middle. That is the middle. The exact this? middle. Oh, no. My bad. That's that's this year. Oops. Let's try that, <laughs> that, was one. A lie. Let's try that one every, more time. Everything one David more time. said was we a lie. We got it here. Uh, 31st. That's better. Okay. Um, yeah. Put it in the bank. Count it. So, yeah. Um, the, these are awful awful i mean okay sure it's not you know whatever he was playing at at north dakota state but you know no thanks not buying that yet i say they're a 10-win team because i also like i again like to jump to conclusions after uh with no information okay question three is greg roman better at coordinating offense than rex ryan is at defense i'm gonna go (laughs) ahead and say yes just flat out, yes. Greg Roman is better at coordinating offense. These are, than Ryan, these are than terrible lightning round defense. questions because they're hard. Like, I, I, I want to spend more than a sentence on them. Um, no. You get two sentences. No, but he, was, he shouldn't have been fired. Absolutely. He was not, he's not the problem now with that team. Um, Rex Ryan's a pretty good, he's got a pretty good track record. At being a problem or not a problem? <laughs> At being a good defensive coach. I mean, it oh, okay. hasn't worked out well, obviously, for him so far in Buffalo. But, I mean, the dude's been in the league a long time. He's coached a lot of good defenses. I'm still going to give him the benefit of the doubt there. But Greg Roman took that offense from, I think it was 26th the year before he got there, to ninth uh, with, ninth, ninth, with, with fucking yeah. Tyrod Taylor, who was yeah. an undrafted dude that nobody wanted before that season. So and, and this year, the offense wasn't as good, but they were 19th and the defense was 25th. Uh, problem is Rex Ryan can't fire himself. Final point, which is just stupid, something I hate in general. Um, and, and I think it was uh, Bill Barnwell made this point uh, as well in one of his columns. If Greg Roman was two games away from being, two bad games away from being fired, why in the hell didn't you just fire him in the offseason and go a different direction? Like if you're, if you're waiting like, uh, no, I think we might want to get rid of Greg Roman. Uh, let's give him two games. Like, what like what what sort of decision making process is that? It's just like NFL teams are stupid. Yep, agreed. All right, next question, uh, guys. Fastest answer, correct answer wins. Who leads in total QBR this season? Carson Wentz. God. Nope. You're not going to get it. He's handsome. He's handsome. He's real handsome. <laughs> oh, Jimmy Garoppolo. There you go. Yeah. That's crazy. He's not, how not, how is he handsome? I, I just I just find him uh, traditionally attractive. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just go to the next question. Quick. Uh, uh, who leads in quarterback rating? Uh, Carson Wentz. Overall, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. No. 
Um, it's not Aaron Rodgers, that's for sure. It's it's Matt Ryan. Crazy to me. I didn't think. Huh. I, yeah, weird. Um, who's your biggest surprise of the first two weeks? Uh, for me, it's Carson Wentz. There you go, David. Um, I think maybe the Ravens being two and zero is pretty surprising. They're not good. I mean, I, I don't that's think they're going to be. That's not a real two and zero. That's not a real. Right. They're, I, they're not actually good, but like the fact that they're actually still two and zero somehow, like that's weird. I don't know. I'm actually. I'm going to go ahead and say one more surprise, uh, and and then we've got to move on to the Seahawks game preview. But it is that you reached for Mike Wallace. That's what I was hoping for. Yes. In the, I think what was it seventh round? It was the sixth or the seventh. Yeah, yeah in the seventh round of our uh, college buddies league, and you called it. You said I'm going to go ahead and reach for this guy. And after two weeks, it looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. You should trade him soon. But after two weeks, I can't. I have I have no other receivers. Can I ask one more question? Do you yeah. guys want Dak Prescott, Derek Carr, or Glenn Babbert? Like Derek Carr. It, like to watch? Yeah. If no, just to just to, who would you take? Oh God, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna go ahead and say Dak Prescott. Yeah, I liked him. Yeah, I, know, I would take Carr too, but uh, like Derek Dak Carr. Prescott's I, pretty cool. I, yeah, Derek, I, did, I, I, would did say, I say David? Damn it. Yeah, I would say just because he's on my fantasy team, uh, and I would run some option runs with him because I want to. All right, I'm gonna pick a winner. Oscar, you win. Uh, yay! <laughs> winner. <laughs> we used to play that game a couple <laughs> years ago, and I think David's just having some PTSD. Uh, so let's I mean, get. To, I don't know if you can get PTSD from winning all the time. Have, <laughs> no, did you? Did someone go back and do the math? Did you win more? No, more so times nobody can prove it. I'm, no, I'm pretty sure someone did. We, somebody did. No, do, someone did said through. they. Were, someone said they were going to, and they never actually did. Well, they're get, get, they're getting called out right now. You, I don't think those ambiguous are person, actually. So no, we took them off. Unless somebody them off, has yeah. them, yeah, nobody can ever find out. So uh, as far and as if someone, I'm concerned, and if someone does have them, I don't know that I want them getting in touch with us. <laughs> because they 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 probably also have a list written in red lipstick of of a lot of things I just don't want to be a part of. Wait, the old episodes aren't aren't uh, when we moved over to SoundCloud. Um, they just got we, deleted. No, no, no. I still have them. Like they're on my hard drive. But I was I, about to say, there's no record of me. <laughs> you guys just deleted. It's not on You've the internet scrubbed. right now. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, just not on the internet. Just like the rest of your life, you luddite. Um, but internet. so let's get to the Seahawks game preview because really there are a couple of things to watch that are going to be super important. And of course, right off the top, number one, does the Seahawks offense find their stride against the 49ers defense that is, as we've been talking about so far this episode, you know, a, a good defense, not necessarily a great defense, but not a bad defense. Or will the Seahawks continue to struggle and look like the team that lost against the freaking Rams and haven't scored a touchdown. Uh, have, have the Seahawks scored a touchdown all one, year? One single They've scored touchdown. one touchdown. Yeah, yeah. so this, I, I actually love this stat. This was uh, from, from one of Bill Barnwell's articles this week. Um, so far, Seattle has scored 15 points in two weeks against a pair of teams in Miami and Los Angeles that allowed 59 total combined points to their other opponent. So the, the team that those two teams played in the other weeks 59 points, Seattle only managed 15. Like, that's uh, that's crazy. Um, their offense is a disaster right now. Like, a slow start for Seattle isn't really anything new. Like, this has kind of been how they do things every single year. But um, this is a different kind of slow start. Like, yes. usually when they start slow, it's like, because we remember last year, too. I, I think it was in week two or three last year where they played the Rams, and they started slow, and it was a close game. And I, I remember tweeting out specifically how are the Rams going to blow this? 
And sure enough, I think it was, I think it was week one or one through three. I forget exactly, but the Rams ended up losing the game, a game they should have won. And the Seahawks started slow, but still won the game. Now they're starting slow and they didn't win the game. Yeah. I mean, they're like, they're a two minute drive away from being 0-2 right now. Like they managed to put it together for one drive to get their one touchdown at the end of that Miami game. Um, And that's, it right now and and so i I do agree that it's different i feel like too like with previous slow starts um a lot of their problems have usually been on defense because i feel like we're always end up having that conversation the first month like oh is seattle's defense finally like going to take a crap and like not be good anymore um and then it comes around and it's you know one of the best in football by the end of the year like usual so uh i feel like this one's a little bit different because the the problems are definitely more on the offense right now Um, the offensive line is just a complete disaster. Uh, I, I actually was able to watch this game, uh, or watch at least this side of the ball, um, watching Seahawks, uh, offense versus the Rams defense for pro football focus this week. And it was just hilarious to watch. I'm going to go ahead and read, read the text you sent me, uh, because there's an article from Sam Monson on PFF. That's really good. I think that does a good job of breaking down the problems for the Seahawks on their offensive line. And your exact text to me is LMAO for the adults out there. That's laugh my ass off. Uh, read this article right quick on the Seahawks and you linked it. And it's just completely eviscerating the, the, the offensive line play. Um, so yeah, th- this, this offensive line play is literally making you laugh your entire ass off. I mean, you are assless you, as a result of this offensive line. You look at, so, so there's, there's a, I think like three or four different gifts uh, within that article that just shows like Aaron Donald or somebody from the Rams defensive line, uh, just destroying somebody on that Seattle all line. And, and so uh, Sam at the beginning of that article had some, some really interesting stats I wanted to point out or like stats or points. Um, one, like they lost. So we've talked about the, the Seattle offensive line, trouble like isn't a new thing obviously if you paid any attention to to the rest of the league you know that that's true we've talked about it for the last couple years when we do the opponent previews um it's been bad for a while but they lost what was the only like competent nfl quality starter that they had from that unit um in russell coon going to denver all five of their current starters entered the season playing a different position than they played last year (laughs) so they took five random dudes basically that aren't good and then they didn't even let them do the thing that they've been not good at. They moved him to a different position so that they could <laughs> well, be even guess, worse there. In some backwards-ass <laughs> world, I guess it's like, well, you're not good at right guard, so maybe you're good at center. Like, um, like let's let's play something else. It's just like right. a change of scenery. <laughs> it's so, just a change of scenery. So far, that experiment... Uh, Surprise hasn't worked Um, through two (laughs) weeks. They've allowed 33 total pressures, um, which puts them on pace for 264, which is just insane. (laughs) That's like they were again. They were bad last year. Uh, Russell Wilson's consistently one of the highest pressured quarterbacks in football. Um, That would outpace last year's total by 67. Yeah, that's that's a Uh, whole game to put that in context. Being pressured on 67 unique plays would be like playing an entire game where you pass every single play and on every single play you are pressured. Um, and then this one's my favorite, even, even more than that one. Um, so, the, and this is, is not dissimilar from the, the Carlos Hyde stat that we mentioned earlier, but uh, so far Seattle running backs are averaging 3.1 yards per carry. Uh, 2.7 of those yards are coming after contact. So when you uh, do a little bit of math there, 
they're only getting 14 inches per carry before they get hit by a defender right now, um, which is just uh, absurd to think about. Um, so so this this offensive line is a disaster, right? And uh, while it may be worse this year than it's been in years past, like that's not a totally new thing. But the way they've been able to overcome that uh, in, in previous seasons is for really two reasons. One, Russell Wilson being, um, you know, probably the most elusive quarterback in the league and being very good at, at moving around in the pocket and avoiding pressure um, and doing those sort of things to kind of compensate for a, a terrible offensive line. And then Marshawn Lynch running through everyone, right? Like Marshawn Lynch consistently led the league uh, in yards after contact, or if, if not led was like among the two or three leaders every single year. Like the dude was just a monster to bring down. Um, and now obviously no Marshawn at all. And then Wilson's dealing with uh, a high ankle sprain that he suffered in the Miami game and is just not the same person, right? Like not the same athlete. Uh, he is he's not able to move around back there. And you saw it in that Rams game. I mean, the dude just got beat to shit play after play. Like anytime he tried to stay in the pocket, he was getting hit. I don't even know. I don't want to look at the, the hit numbers in that game because it would probably make my body hurt. Uh, it, it, he's just not the same person right now. So you you add those two things in. And like this offensive line uh, or this offense in general can't really do anything right now. I think the thing that surprises me that surprised me the most about watching Russell Wilson in the pocket against the Rams was the fact that he looked like he was getting early onset David Carr syndrome. Like he was starting to see ghosts and he was just chucking the ball a little early. He was off target. He was off balance. He was not. I mean, you're right. He wasn't the same Russell Wilson that we're, that we're used to seeing. And when you don't have your star quarterback that's there able to bail you out, all of a sudden things get infinitely more difficult. But I think the question is, the, the 49ers have dealt with Seattle teams that have had crappy offensive lines. They've, they've had to face teams with Russell Wilson early on in his career or a Marshawn Lynch with an injury and still haven't been able to do much of anything against that Seattle defense. And especially now on the road, because they're playing at the clink, really can the 49ers offense do anything against this defense? Because when you think of what they did against Carolina, you think of that 75-yard touchdown to Vance, and, and that's pretty much all of the points that came against the Panthers courtesy that, that weren't because of turnovers. And even when they got the ball turned over, they didn't necessarily turn that into touchdowns. Like they weren't driving down the length of the field. They had short fields, had to settle for two field goals. And even though they have the most points off of turnovers this year, they have 34 points off of six turnovers, which is tops in the NFL, that still should be more points. And they're still one and one. And they still effectively got blown out in week two after getting and generating four turnovers. So while this is a defense that is, yes, stumbling into week two, is it an offense for the 49ers that can capitalize on this defense? So I think one thing I want to put into context really quick about the 49ers offense, and, and we talk about it being not very good right now. It's on a different level from not very good last year, right? We're, we're talking about two different, like basically completely different scales at this point. So, so far, the 49ers again, not looking very good offensively um, so far through two games, have still put up 28 and 27 points. Um, they put up 27 points once last year. Like, that was the most points they scored in any game last year. 
Uh, did it one time, hit 26 one other time. Like, this was generally a team that scored in the teens or the single digits and and was just on a completely separate level of incompetence. So when we're saying bad now, it's more back to being bad compared to the rest of the league as opposed to being bad compared to, I don't know, like History. Mac teams, you know? So, um, Mac, really? Why do you got to bring the Mac into this? I, <laughs> I, I don't know. It was the first one that popped in my head. Um, <laughs> that wasn't a Power 5 conference. So, so yeah, so th- so they're they're certainly improved over where they were last year, but it, again, it's still not very good. And you know, one of the things that you mentioned, you know, with the the whole thing about points off turnovers is, you know, this was again we we knew that uh, Carolina's defense was going to be another test for them, and and to be we know that's going to be a, a quality defense at the end of the year. Um, but it wasn't really as good. Like the the 49ers offensive performance that game wasn't as good as some of the numbers point. Like it really the the points and kind of how close it was at certain at, at points in that game. Um, and it was just like you mentioned, everything outside of that Vance McDonald touchdown came off of turnovers where they had really short fields um, and they couldn't even capitalize on all of those opportunities. Right. Two of those, uh, they had to settle for field goals, like for short field goals. So um, now we're taking that again on the road to Seattle where, uh, you know, teams just struggle to move the ball. Well, like Seattle's defense is very good and they're very they're even better at home. So. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. And, and actually, and the other thing I think you want to consider there is something we've talked about um, with Chip's offense not having a ton of success in some limited matchups against that Seattle scheme. So, you know, you're already dealing with a situation where you're kind of deficient in talent compared to what you're going to be going against. Um, and then you have, on top of that, a team that has, in a, in a few other matchups, uh, played very well and been able to, to kind of stymie that scheme a little bit. Well, I think you look at some of the players that jumped out against the St. Louis Rams, and that was Michael Bennett. I mean, Michael Bennett is just good at football. He was penetrating against that that Rams offensive line, and this is someone who I think is going to be a problem, especially in the run game, when you, you think of the run game making the offense go, and you think about now a run defense in Seattle that even after two games is still really damn good. They're second against uh, the run for value over average. So really, you're talking about an offensive line that's still going to have to move people that they don't seem capable of moving. And you're looking at Russell Wilson, who, even though he doesn't look like the same person, was still able to throw some deep routes against the Rams, and especially against the Rams' man coverage, where... You know, it was kind of spotty at first and you had some pass interference calls, but was still able to connect on some deep routes. And he is going to begin to test that 49er secondary. And and I don't know that, you know, if Chris Davis plays in the slot that he's going to be able to hold up against someone like a Tyler Lockett or a Paul Richardson. If you see Eric Reed in the slot, you know, it's going to be interesting to see him match up against maybe a Doug Baldwin. The The Seattle Seahawks put their receivers at different places to try and generate matchups. And Russell Wilson knows where to go with the ball. So it's going to definitely be a test, you know, even on defense against this offense that is definitely struggling to protect Russell Wilson. Um, one question for you kind of reminded me of it when you were, we were talking about um, Chris Davis there. What do you think? I, I know which one I feel more confident in, but I'm curious as to which combination of cornerbacks that you like better. Do you prefer seeing Chris Davis come in at the slot and keeping Jimmy Ward outside or do you like it when uh, Richard Robinson comes into the outside and Jimmy Ward kicks inside? Which of those combinations like- do you think is a better uh, trio, I guess, for the 49ers defense right now? 
I'm still not sold on Richard Robinson. I still think that dude needs to eat a cheeseburger. Like he needs he needs some of that smoothie power that Eli Harold had this offseason. But even then, even though simply running into Kelvin Benjamin is going to knock you out of the game because you weigh 160 pounds soaking wet and wearing boots, I still prefer him on the outside and Jimmy Ward moving inside because I think – two reasons. One, I think that Jimmy Ward is the best corner on the field and I think the slot position is the most difficult position to play in the NFL because of that two-way go. So you've got your best corner – in one of the most difficult positions, I think that that makes a bit of sense. And I look at Richard Robinson on the outside, and that's where his size and length matches up with players um, that are that big. Uh, I think Chris Davis is good, but you, you look at someone who is small and plays that slot position well, and that's Joyner for the Saints. Um, or the Saints, Jesus, the Rams. Uh, but I think LaMarcus Joyner is a little dude, but he plays really, really well. I don't know that Chris Davis plays that well. Um, and until I can get some more evidence of that, I think Richard Robinson on the outside and and Jimmy Ward inside makes makes much more sense. I agree. Um, I I think that that's a better combination for them right now. Um, I'm really interested to see it. Like I do think that the the 49ers secondary in general matches up a lot better with Seattle's group of receivers because you don't have any guys that are really like these huge massive bodies. I mean, uh, they they pretty much only play four receivers at this point, and it's Baldwin, Curse, Lockett, and Paul Richardson. Um, Curse is really the only one out of those guys that is kind of a big body, and he's not a, a Kelvin Benjamin-style talent, right? Like, he's not that good of a player. He can go up and get some passes every once in a while. But, um, yeah, really interested to see, like, uh, Jimmy Ward line up against Doug Baldwin in the slot. He's he's their primary slot guy. I mean, he's their, I don't know, like, four out of every five plays or so, Doug Baldwin's in, in the slot. So, um, I think that'll be a really interesting matchup there. And, and I think the guys that you end up seeing on the outside then with uh, Lockett and Curse and Richardson, like I think the 49ers corners match up a little bit well, at least physically with, with those players. So we, we're talking about things to watch in the game, and we started with the Seahawks offense and their offensive line, whether or not they would find their stride against the 49ers defense. And, and we talked a bit about the 49ers offense and whether or not they can do anything against this team on the road. Um, and and some of the the defensive backs and, and wide receiver matchups. And then I think finally you're going to look to what the what the CL Seahawks do with some of that zone read run game. Because DeForest Buckner had an interview earlier today where he talked about how they expect more downhill zone runs when Russell Wilson's under center. But if they get into a pistol or a shotgun look, you're really expecting them to run some more zone read concepts. And against the Rams, when Russell Wilson started to execute some of the zone reads, that's where I feel the running game really started to pick up. And pick up is relative, of course, right? They didn't, like, beat them to the ground with the run game, but they got a couple of runs. They were able to break one with Christine Michael outside, and it seemed to pick up a bit. And I talked about this a little bit before the show with David. He had a really good reaction to it. Uh, and, and David, I, wanna, I want you to recreate this for us one more time while your cat looks at you lovingly and looks at the butt. Uh, in the background, that's happened. I mean, oh, it's a true story. Um, your 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 cat got up and knew I was talking about it. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it. it's going to be hard to recreate that exact reaction, right? Um, but we'll we'll give it a shot here. Uh, I mean, if I'm the 49ers defense, I am at this point begging Seattle to run a, a heavy zone read and and give Russell Wilson an opportunity to be out on out in space with one of these defenders, right? Like 
Again, he is not the same person right now. That high ankle sprain is normally something that keeps players out, like completely out. The only, the only thing that helps this is rest. Um, and, and so usually when you're dealing with that high ankle sprain, four to six weeks is the typical recovery that you see for most NFL players, like just completely off the field, nothing but rest to try to get that ankle better. He hasn't missed even a single practice, supposedly. So his ankle is hashtag nano bubbles. His, his ankle is not in great shape. Whatever flavor of water he's drinking is not going to make that ankle better by the time Sunday rolls around. Um, and, and so he just can't move as well. Like you, there's no reason right now to be scared of Russell Wilson in the open field. Um, there's no reason for him to, to be scared about him making guys miss unless he just gets like, unless he flies to Germany and gets some sort of like crazy, what was it that Kobe Bryant got into his knee? Um, some sort of stem cell plasma bullshit. I don't know. Um, like unless he's like just some sort of miraculous recovery that's happening this week. He's not the same guy right now. And and so if, if Seattle's willing to let him keep these balls uh, on the zone read and get out in space with one of these defenders, like, please, please do it. Like, they're going to beat the shit out of Russell Wilson in this game. And like, they might actually have a chance to win if that happens. Well, if you're going to do it, hopefully they do it with some kind of kind of attack the running back on or attack the mesh kind of player or blitz off the edge. Because I think that would be the thing that would basically force Russell Wilson to keep the ball. Yeah, force, and force then when he does keep time. the ball. Yeah, force to keep every time. And the way that you do that is by sending someone directly at that mesh point. You make the quarterback keep the ball. And then ideally you scrape someone over the top. I mean, Ray Ray would have been perfect for this. But maybe that's Gerald Hodges. Maybe that's a safety that's playing down as the dollar backer. Either way, I think it's it's interesting to uh, to force that keep and then end up pummeling him. I uh, I like that strategy. I think it's 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 an overall strategy that pummels Russell Wilson. And uh, you know what? I like that. It ends up working. I out. I think we could see a really. I mean, we it feels like we might end up wanting to say this every single week just because um, they're pretty clearly the best players on this defensive line, but. Seems like it could be a really, you know, big game for both uh, DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead here. Like, the again, the interior, no spot is really good on this offensive line, but I feel like the interior might be especially bad. Um, like, they they should be able to, if they, I guess if they can't get pressure and they, can, they can't get some sacks and hits in this game, like, something is going wrong. Well, what I thought was interesting against this offensive line specifically was how they handled this kind of speed to power. Not just pure power, but really kind of, one gapping and, and knifing through and then being able to, to to handle that. I don't I saw Mike Purcell. I don't think he was a deficiency at all against Carolina, but I would like to see against an offensive line like this, less of him and, and more Buckner and Armstead, whether it be inside or outside. Quentin Dial, who's performed very well against the run this year, I'd like to see some of him. Um I think that that's really the offensive or the defensive line I'd like to see against this team. And not necessarily so much Glenn Dorsey or Mike Purcell, even though I think that they will rotate so that Glenn Dorsey is not, you know, playing 60 games or 60 snaps when he comes back off of his ACL injury. Um, but overall, I think if I think, well, let's let's get to the predictions then. So what do you think is going to be the the final score right now? The line has the Seahawks at nine and a half. Um, that means that the you know they're expecting the the Seahawks to win by. You know, a, a touchdown and and a field goal, two scores here. This so far this season, both you and I are one and zero straight up, and zero and one against the spread. 
so let's put it on the line, David. What do you think is going to happen against the Seattle Seahawks? I mean, I think you have to go Seattle is is the winner in this game, and you know, especially at home. Um, I do think it's going to be closer than some of these games. I mean, obviously, it's hard to compare them to previous matchups because this is just such a different 49ers team compared to a lot of those games. But, um, you know, they, they obviously haven't played well up there. I think it's going to be closer because right now I just don't trust that Seattle offense to be able to to really do uh, a whole lot in this game. So I think it's kind of a, a pretty ugly, like not super well played on either side of the ball sort of game. Um I do think the 49ers are able to cover in this one, um, mostly just because uh, Seattle, I don't think, has the the firepower. So barring barring some like a special teams touchdown, like if Tyler Lockett takes one to the house or something like that, okay, then maybe. Um, but barring something like that or some sort of defensive touchdown, I just don't see, think Seattle can score enough points to really run away with this one. So I, I think they win in sort of a 13 to 6 or 7 game. I think that Seattle does win. I'm I I'm I wonder about the cover because I think about those special teams. I I don't know that special teams is not something that we talk about often on this podcast, but they they did not look all that great against Carolina. They looked fine against the Rams. I mean, it was what it was, but there were a couple of plays against Carolina where I thought, "Oh man, Ted Ginn's about to break this wide open." And our kickoff coverage did not look good. Our punt coverage did not look all that great. And maybe this is where Shane Scove does offer some assistance, but I don't think it's going to be all that much. And and Tyler Lockett is just damn good. That guy, I mean, I, I watched him when he was at Kansas. He, you know, he beat the hell out of Texas too. Like it he's just good at at returning kicks. And so I think that might be the turning point. And I think because it's in Seattle. Because of, you know, just, I don't know, the impression that I get to quote a really shitty song from the 90s. Um, is it Mighty Mighty Boston? It is the Mighty Mighty Boston. That's right. God. That's why I keep you around. Uh, I think it ends up, I think, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say that they cover. I, I think they cover. What's uh, the score, though? Oh, God. Score, 17-27. Um, Ooh, I, I did 19-17 Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... Uh, Back shoulder fade to lock it last few I mean, minutes. Questionable, he, non-call. You don't throw a back shoulder fade to lock it. How are, it. Yeah. How are you That's getting how 27 points for this team? I'm, I'm very curious as to how you uh, think that they can nearly double their point total from the first two weeks right now. I, I think it's a turnover and a special teams touchdown. You think they get two think, non-offensive scores mixed in there? Correct. Okay. Right. Correct. I, I think that's that's what I'm looking at. I, I and And honestly, I think their defense is just that good. I think their I mean, defense, defense is just broken. that damn good. Yeah. And and I think that they, that that Blaine Gabbert has thrown a couple he's actually thrown some interceptions and he's thrown some real interceptable balls. I mean, he could have five or six interceptions so far, I think through yeah. through two weeks, um which isn't ideal. It's not not yeah. really. And just because he doesn't have interceptions in the stat sheet doesn't mean they're not there. You know, doesn't mean that there was an opportunity to get those interceptions. So he's not making. I, I there's nothing that, about his passes that are making defenders drop these, right? Like th- that's a, an outcome completely out of his control. Correct. Like that's a pass that should be intercepted. That counts against him. Correct. And so I think that it ends up being a pick, and or or a turnover in some way, shape, or form. And I think there's a special teams touchdown in there. I yeah, I don't know. It, maybe maybe I'm letting history cloud what I think this game is going to be. Um, because you know they, they used to be seventeen nineteen affairs, 
um, especially in San Francisco um, before we moved over to Levi's. But I don't know. Maybe I'm still like, you know, having Seattle PTSD or something. But I I think they lose and I think Seattle covers. I just really hope like, you know, in every game since Russell Wilson has been there, it feels like there's one or two plays where he just does something that uh, is just maddening, like just makes you a wheel route, a wheel route to some bullshit fullback. That is, you know, running down the sideline or something stupid. I'm not even like thinking about. That. I'm thinking more of like the plays where uh, he spins around, runs like 15 yards into the backfield, uh, like behind the line of scrimmage, and then like splits two defenders and then lofts a pass up 30 yards downfield to some dude that's wide open. All of a sudden, like, like that that scenario, like that actually happened. Like, I don't know, was it last year, or the year before, or something like that. Um, like those sort of stupid plays that just make you want to throw your remote control through the TV. Um, I really don't think he's capable of that right now. And if it happens, the fact that I'm saying this uh, and so firm on this stance right now is going to make it, I think, even worse. So I just really don't You're want to see that it. happen. Well, here's <laughs> here's the question for you then. So Trevon Boykins, their backup. And he, you know, the TCU quarterback, option guy, He's some sp- he's got some speed, he's an athlete, which is better, hitting Russell Wilson and abusing him such that he still completes the game, but is, you know, some percentage less than he is normally. Or him getting knocked out of the game and getting a fully healthy Trayvon Boykin in. I think it's it's probably closer than a lot of people would want to admit. Um, like, I, I think if you're thinking long term, like, so if I'm a, a Seahawks fan, right? Like, and I'm trying to, what would I want for this team long long term? Like you, I think you have to think, you know, pretty hard about resting Russell Wilson for at least a couple of weeks. I think they have an early buy, like they have like a week five buy. Um, so, yeah. you know, does it really hurt you that much uh, to to lose, you know, maybe two games there, or at least have two games without Russell Wilson? Um, or would you rather have him healthy for the stretch run and, and kind of be himself over the second half of the season? Um, I, I think that's an interesting argument. But if you're looking short term right now, like what's best for them in this game? Um, I think if you change your, I think you can make changes to your offense to compensate for his lack of mobility, right? Like you can, you can do some things. And I think a a limited Russell Wilson is still a better option than Trevon Boykin in like a one game scenario, right? Like you can still, he's going to be a more accurate passer. And I think you can get away with that, like getting the ball out quickly, having him just be a more accurate thrower than somebody like Trevon Boykin, who still isn't going to be the guy that Russell Wilson is when he's healthy from like a, an athleticism standpoint and being able to make things happen with his legs. Um, and then doesn't offer near the upside as a, as a passer. You're right. They do have a, a week five bye, and, and we'll end with this, this to wrap up the second week episode. The 49ers have an opportunity to sit alone atop the NFC West. If they win against the Seattle Seahawks, because they, the whole division is one and one at this point. But the 49ers have a division win against the Rams, who also have a division win against the Seahawks. But the 49ers have a division win against the Rams, so that means they have the tiebreaker that puts them at number one. There's also Arizona. Right now. I mean, if Arizona were to win. Well, yeah, if Arizona were to win. Um, But but at this point, we'd have two division wins. We'd be 2-0 in the division if we beat Seattle. And we'd be at 2-1, and and if Arizona wins, uh, you would still be sitting atop the NFC West. So... I mean, this is a, a tied for first place with the Los Angeles Rams 
San Francisco 49ers with an opportunity to potentially rest sole position of first place with the 10th ranked team overall based on value over average. Would you think we'd be here at this point of the season, David? At this point, so so late in the year at week two that the team would be <laughs> at this point. Um, so n- you know, now I just can't wait to see uh, Colin Kaepernick in the lineup in what week seven or so. Oh god, yeah, I think we put the over under it at about week seven. I think I said week six because I think week seven's a buy, isn't it? Oh, maybe um, somewhere around there. But no, they got a late buy. Uh, nope, that's the wrong. It's going to be interesting. That's the, <laughs> week you've eight. done that twice. Week now. eight is there by. I'm I'm dis- I'm disappointed in you. Yeah. You've done that twice now. Quit trying to get in your DeLorean and hop in the time machine because it's it's not going to work. Um, but I think that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Richard, uh, you didn't do much, but what you did, <laughs> I was I positive. Was, I was here. Yeah, you. I think that's you know what. That's all we can. Don't say. delete me from this episode. You were here. I, you know what? It's going to take some creative editing, but I might just do that. Um, I'm going to just keep talking from from here to the end. So uh, I was hoping you would try and cut. I don't know. No, no, just, I'm, I'm not going to mute your microphone. You're rusty, bro. You're rusty. It's okay. I'm not, I just was on the internet the entire time. Yeah, I know. I know. It's I mean, right. that's not no different changed. than when you're on the show every week. So yeah. hey, you know what? <laughs> Thank you're, you. As far as I'm yeah. concerned, mid season form right now. <laughs> Fuck you! Fuck you! Oh goodness! All right, make we sure can that, curse, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. uh, cool. You degenerate shit! Uh, <laughs> make sure that you catch uh, all of our musings and writings on Niners Nation. David's gonna have his Friday article post sometime Friday and/or Saturday. Um, I'm probably not going to get to an article this week, but uh, you will see at least this podcast up on Niners Nation this week. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, wh- I don't think we have a call to action this week so far, David. Um, if we were going to have one, uh, I think, you know what? Richard was here. Let's go ahead and – yeah. well, I would say Richard was here, or I would say Richard Grinding Girl. Oh, I think uh, yeah. either or, I think. You, you, you pick. Richard you was choose. here. Just – just you can have choose. Him, have him ha- tag me in the Twitter post. That's right. Richard was here at Richard Bayless or uh, Richard Grinding Girl. It is up to you and your discretion as to which one you choose. So thanks again for tuning in this week. Thanks again to the Barbary Sound for providing our intro and outro music. And again, thanks to everyone that wrote a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show and figure out that it's actually good. Uh, so remember to leave your review on iTunes. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And as always, go Niners. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.